This episode may contain explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, October 2nd, the co-sleeping conundrum edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make another podcast. It's called The Best Advice Show. And I am dad to Noah, who's six, and Ami, who's three. We live in Detroit, Michigan. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 11, Oliver, who's nine, and Teddy, who's six. We live in Tokyo, Japan. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, contributor to Slate Camp, beating parenting column, and mom to Naiva of ten, and we live in Los Angeles. On today's show, we have a very relatable question about bedtime balance. Our letter writer co-sleeps with their little one, which has worked really well for them, except it's become a barrier to intimacy. They're looking for some advice on how to keep their relationship flame lit during this period. We'll, of course, also have recommendations and some advice from you. That's all after this quick break. Okay, let's dive into our listener question. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I could really use some advice on trying to keep the flame alive in my marriage while fully embracing the joys and challenges of being parents. Here's the deal. My partner and I absolutely love co-sleeping with our little one. It's brought us so much joy and closeness as a family. But as our child has grown older, we've noticed that it's becoming a bit of a barrier to finding time and place for intimacy. Our bed has become the ultimate family hangout, and sneaking away for some alone time has become quite the challenge. We've tried to be creative, like having date nights at home or trying to find moments when our little one is asleep, but it doesn't seem to be enough. We miss that intimate connection we used to have, and we're finding it difficult to find the right balance between our roles as parents and as romantic partners. And we kind of don't want to give up the bed sharing. I hope you can help us out with some creative suggestions. How can we maintain a healthy and passionate relationship while co-sleeping with our child? Are there any strategies or tips you can offer to create a space for intimacy without compromising our family bed arrangement? We want to ensure we're meeting both our child's needs and our own desires as a couple. Thanks. Co-sleeping conundrum. I think my first response is sort of maybe the co-sleeping isn't working. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, they say that it's working, but yet it sounds like they've tried other things. Because, of course, I feel like the immediate advice is like, you know, have date nights, go out on date days, have sex when the kids are at school or at daycare or with a babysitter. (laughs) Like, is that because fundamentally, I think that is the issue here, right? It's it's not about like, hold hands more and have a movie night. It's like, they want to have sex and the kid is in the bed. I think the easy answer is like, it's just not going to be a nighttime activity, you're going to need to do it some other time. But it sounds like to me that that is not working like I'm they've tried other things it seems like that has come up so I am wondering if maybe it is time to transition like from the pure co-sleeping to like putting the child down in their own space and if the kid gets up and comes into the bed later that's totally fine which might Mm -hmm. give them some time in their room on their own because I guess I read this to say like we love this feeling of co-sleeping but it's not working if you and your partner are not feeling connected. Yeah, I think that it's time to end the co-sleeping and transition into, you know, a special bedtime ritual where both parents put the little one to sleep and have some cuddle time together. And it's the three mm-hmm. of you and you're close and your family and you love it. But then when your little one is asleep, you all return to your own bedroom. And like Elizabeth said, you can, you know, 
let them come into your room at night if they need to, but that you all need to make that time about you all again, as opposed to everyone in the bed together. Yeah, I think absolutely. I'm really curious to know um, like how old the kids are and, and how long you've been doing it. But I, I co-signed that. I also um, wonder if like, because intimacy doesn't necessarily have to be sex. I think you could like be more intentional about sexting or just like being really flirty over text or just like when the kids are in the other room, just like, you know, quick makeouts, like little bits of intimacy. I don't think that they can totally satiate what might be missing, but I think it'll at least fill a bit of the void. Um, showers, you know, like just like finding these little times throughout the day if you're really not ready to. But I think what you two are saying, like you're still going to get the the kids snuggles just lay in their bed with them. Um, so yeah, it's good. It's great that you are, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a sweet conflict to be having, like giving up one form of intimacy, you know, kid intimacy for, for the adult intimacy is something that I think we all, at least, you know, we share and I certainly struggle with that over here. Um, because Ami has been, creeping into our room a lot lately yeah i mean i i think this is a hard period in life for this like because you have kind of limited time and limited energy um and so finding the time for you and your partner is it's important though especially it sounds like maybe we're out of the like real baby phase where the where it's just like every resource is kind of poured into the to the tiny baby i feel like this letter is out of that i don't know that for sure but um and and more into a slightly older child interestingly i brought this up with a (laughs) group of of um girls i was out with who i don't know very well because i'm meeting people i said like oh we have this letter on the show and one of them said to me this is a huge kind of issue here in japan because for more traditional housing situations everyone is sleeping in the same room like they put their tatami mats on the like their futons out in the same room to sleep and then that also becomes the living room and i think Mm -hmm. outside of tokyo maybe even in tokyo traditionally you would also maybe have like your aging parents in the house and so here we have something called love hotels, which uh, you rent by the hour, and they are like basically just to go and have sex. Um, and they cut. Listen, it has been people have affairs there, and they there are themed ones. But there is apparently a like subsect of these hotels that are literally huh. just for like parents slash kind of oh, dating. Wow. So very normal, boring, consensual. <laughs> Like, like sex that you cannot do at home because nobody has uh-huh. any place to go where there aren't other people. Amazing. I know. I'll have to find out more about love hotels. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew the answer to this question was to go rent a hotel room for an hour? <laughs> well, co-sleeping conundrum. Thanks for writing. I know you're not alone. So if there's anyone out there with good advice, please let us know. Call us at 646-357-9318 or send us a note to mom and dad at slate.com. That's also where you can send questions of your own. We're going to take another quick break, and then we'll be back with some recommendations. Let's move on to recommendations. Elizabeth, what are you recommending this week? Okay, I am recommending um, this song that we are obsessed with. I've mentioned before that we listen to 
like a lot of music appreciation stuff. And then the kids will often pick their favorites to listen to while we're doing homework or cooking dinner. But recently, um, we came across the song We Overcame the Wind, which is from the album The Drop That Contained the Sea. So it's... um, Hmm sung in the native language of Uganda and it's directed by Christopher Tin and he I think is known for writing the music for Civilization the game and he's won all these awards but the song We Overcame the Wind is it's beautiful it has it is longs which I always love because then sometimes the change of song kind of disrupts our uh flow but it's just a, it's just a wonderful like it kind of builds and there's all this beautiful um uh, deep singing and the orchestration is just just beautiful. So actually, the whole album is great, but this is the "We Overcame the Wind" is the one that the kids just have really latched onto. So check it yeah. out. Great. What about you, Jamila? Well, I'm happy to report that I found a board game that works for Naima and I. One that we're smart enough to play. We've got Clue Junior. Um, I think there are two different versions. The one we have is the case of the broken toy. And even though Naima did have some criticism for the game, for example, the characters or the suspects are adults. And she's like, why would these adults break a toy? You know, like, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. Um, but it's fun. It's easy. We enjoy it. Clue Junior. What makes Clue Junior different from... Because Clue, Clue was the original game that did not work out. Right. So what makes Clue Jr. so much better? It's just much easier to play. Like, I was truly confused by the instructions on original Clue. It was just tough. And Clue Jr. is a lot more straightforward, just easier. Is that something that you do you think will still be fun, like on repeat plays? I've, I haven't played it. I think it will be. You know, I don't think it's going to last us forever, but I think we can get a couple good play out of it. And it's Great. like the cards change who did it, right? So it's not like once you, it's not, it's not escape roomy in that once you've solved it. No, yeah. it changes every time. You're figuring out who broke the toy, what time they did it, which toy was broken. So Naima just awesome. needs new kid characters. I think she should create yes. some. All right, my recommendation is going to be, there's some privilege here for uh, kids with two parents um, who live in the same house. So this weekend, my wife and I split the kids up because she wanted to uh, go do like some, she went to this place called Creative Art Studio. It's like you can go and like do mosaics or paint plaster stuff. Um, So that doesn't really interest me. I really wanted to check out this new bookstore in our neighborhood. So she took Noah to the art thing and I took Ami to the bookstore. Um, so it was this thing where we both, like, Noah needed to compromise, which is nice sometimes. And uh, we both got to do the thing we wanted to do and just uh, the, with the added benefit of, like, the kids having our undivided attention, um, you know, one-on-one, which which doesn't happen so frequently. So um, as great as it is to do stuff with the whole family, it's also nice to split up every once in a while. Um, so... The split safe is my recommendation. Okay, we wanted to end today with a few pieces of advice from y'all. The first two letters are in response to an interview Elizabeth did with Dr. Devorah Heitner on screen time, social media, and growing up in public. Dear mom and dad, I really appreciated your discussion about upper elementary school kids and their phones. I spent eight weeks as an overnight camp counselor this summer, 
And none of the kids had access to their phones while they were in my care. So many kids had phones at home, and it was kind of obvious that the ones that did were more poorly behaved, they were worse at listening to multi-step directions, and they weren't that great at independent play. Also, all of the kids were obsessed with my phone. Our supervisor taught us to use our phones as little as possible in front of them, and when we did, to narrate everything we did, I love that Devorah suggested this for real-life parenting because it worked really well for the kids in my care, especially the ones that were very interested in the phones but not old enough to have one yet. Sincerely, teenage camp counselor just trying to get your kids to put their shoes on. Dear mom and dad, I've got a seven and a three-year-old. I don't see us getting a phone until high school, maybe. I understand that tweens and teens socialize using whatever tech at the time, but if three teenage girls could share one landline with parents in the dark ages in the 90s and early aughts, my kids will survive having a dumb phone and talking on the landline. Yes, we still have one. Signed, sometimes I really miss the 90s slash early aughts. First, I love that a teenager wrote in to us. <laughs> that's, that's With, like, deal. advice about phones. Like, <laughs> I, I wise beyond your years to be listening and then being like, yeah, phones are like, I'm noticing a difference in younger kids. I just think this is, this is great. And like the kids are going to be a lot more receptive, I think, to like a teenager saying no phones are cool than their parents saying it. So I love also that this teenager is, is modeling like what the world could be like, you know, while still being fun. I think the other letter I think the thing is that every parent is going to approach the phones, the social medias differently, right? And so the idea is to gather as much information about what we know is happening and let that inform our decisions and be having these conversations with our kids. So if you are able to limit the phones, right, for your, that works for your life and that you don't have kids in all different places that need to get in touch with you. Like that's great. That's great. And I think, you know, good, good for you. Um, yeah. And that's a, that's a wonderful choice. I also think though, like it changes so quickly that it's okay to like have this rule now and then when your child comes to you and says, like, I feel like I can't interact socially to be able to to work with them, you know, to figure out how we're going to keep up in this world that is is on social media in a way that you feel comfortable with. What my uh, my cousin, who's got a, a teenage daughter, just told me about this social media app. Ugh, I keep forgetting the name of it, but it's where you just share one picture per day. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, Naeem is on it. I forgot the name of it. It's called like Let's look it up. One Time. Uh, let me look this up real quick. Um, um, is it Be Real? Be Real, yeah. Yeah, my cousin who has a, a teenage daughter doesn't allow her on any social media apps um, except this one called Be Real, which is kind of streamlined and you, and you only upload like one picture a day. Um which seems like a pretty great compromise, especially compared to like, you know, what what Instagram and, and TikTok are. So I, I had never heard of it. Are you too involved with Be Real in some way? That's not the one I was thinking of, no. Oh, it's not? Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that one. Our next couple letters came from our episode we did about allowance. Hi there. I really liked the conversation about money and I wanted to recommend a book called The Opposite of Spoiled by Ron Lieber. 
I particularly loved an example where one parent took their monthly salary out of the bank in $1 bills and showed his kid visually how much money goes towards mortgage or rent and household stuff. I think the book also does a decent job of talking about money in awareness to class and privilege. Just wanted to share. Reshima. Hey guys, so when my son and I would go to the store and he'd want a toy, I'd ask him, do you have the money for the toy? And he'd say no, of course. And then I'd front him the $5 for the toy. We'd take the toy up to the register. You know, we'd feed the bill into the machine and we'd walk out with the toy. The next time we'd go to the store uh, and he'd want something, I'd ask him again if he had the money. He'd, of course, say no. So I'd front him the money again. But from that point on, he had this choice. He could spend the money right away or he could save the money and get more money. Meaning he could get a small toy now or like a big toy down the line. I actually kind of stumbled into this, but I found that the technique really worked. Plus, it sidesteps the I want this, I want that, I want this cycle because I could just ask him, do you have the money for it? Thanks, Tom. Wow, some really thoughtful um, advice from, from listeners here. And that book, I hadn't heard of, about that book by Ron Lieber from, from the first comment, The Opposite of Spoiled, the idea of taking your monthly salary and literally showing kids where all the money goes. That seems very visual and instructive. Finally, we have one last letter. Hey, Mom and Dad. I just finished listening to the episode about allowances mainly, but it also had that question about how to fit playdates into lives of working families. This might be coming at the issue a little bit sideways, but when my uh, oldest was preschool age, we and a couple of their families in the area established a care co-op. We had a membership of about seven to eight families over the actually seven to eight years that this thing was in existence, um, where we essentially traded popsicle sticks for care. It was a godsend. And while not designed to cover routine ongoing child care needs, it was a dream solution to find occasional child care. This idea might take a little bit more work to establish, but the payoff might be exactly what the listener is looking for. Our co-op had written bylaws. We set up a Google group and shared email addresses to put out care requests and accept requests. I'm sure it can work in other less formal ways, too, but it was just such a godsend. So you wanted to put it out there. Cheers, Katie. My parents were in a babysitting co-op like this in the in the 80s. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, it was in their neighborhood. It's like one of their favorite things about our time that we lived, lived in uh, Midtown. That's a monumental triumph. I mean, like they said, that it takes a lot of work, but I think that is such a beautiful idea. Um, I, I, dr- I dream of that kind of scenario with the other adults on our block. Thank you all again for writing in. If you ever have any advice of your own, we're so excited to hear it. You know how to reach us, momandad at slate.com or call us at 646-357-9318. And that's our show. Please subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Maura Curry. Alicia Montgomery is the VP of Slate Audio. For Elizabeth Newcamp and Jamila Lemieux, I'm Zach Rosen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>